Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. My name's Andrew Satch. I'm Andrew Latimer. And today we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000, as it's often called. They Arguably, it could be the feeding of the 10,000 or even more. It's 5,000 men, presumably, plus women and children as well, in this amazing crowd that Jesus feeds. And before we look at what it means, we thought we'd stop at the fact that it actually happened before it means something. And it's, um, there's lots of details about it which are there just to bring out the weird, crazy shock of it. Um, and I think actually there's a little bit of possibly some comedy as well around it. Um, one of our friends, um, James Carey, says, um, keeps um, uh, imploring the church to have better reading of scripture and um, seeing the comedy that's <laughs> really there. Um, but let me let me give you a flavour of it. Um, so it's late um, and they, you know, there's this massive crowd and... Um, and they're, they're somewhere without any food because basically this crowd has chased Jesus around the shoreline, haven't they? So Jesus and his disciples have tried to get away from them. They've spotted them leaving by boat. They leg it around the coast and then they meet Jesus and he's compassionate and teaches them all day. But of course, they're somewhere remotely without any shops or any food supply. And that is a big problem when you've got you know 20,000 people. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, um, verse 36, send them away. Um, and so they can go and buy themselves something to eat. And this is your first comedy moment with Jesus with a twinkle in his eye. Well, I mean, it's just a weird thing. Verse 87, oh, you give them something to eat. And you, you just wish you could actually get the camera angle to see, is, this a, is, this, is he being playful? Is he being... Anyway, um, they respond with, oh, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And... To get the comedy of it, you, you need to know that that is like best part of a year's wages. So, you know, London wage, I think, average is something like 26,000. So, shall we go and, you know, just spend 20,000 quid on it, Jesus? Which actually tells you that lunch in those days is about as much as lunch at a pret a today. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Jesus comes back and you wonder whether he's playing along with the gag. Oh, how many loaves do you have? Go, go and see. As in, just check your pockets, see if you've got enough... <laughs> Food for 20,000 people. And then they go around the entire crowd and all they manage to find is like five. So there's no Boy Scouts in this entire population. Like no one is prepared. Like five loaves, we used to, it's a small number to multiply, but it's also a pitifully small amount. I mean, as in it's been a long day and they've already eaten their packed lunch. Yeah. And, and when they had found out, they said five <laughs> and two fish. They say that's going to really, oh that, yeah, thanks. I forgot about the fish. That will really make a difference. <laughs> Um, and then the way Mark tells it, he emphasises that something crazy has happened because it starts very matter of fact and he, they start to distribute it. And it obviously takes longer than you expect to eat five loaves. And then you get this amazing sort of three statements, one after the other. They all ate, they all ate and were satisfied. They had enough. Secondly, they collected basketfuls of broken pieces left over. And it seems they have more leftovers than they even started with. I mean, five bread loaves wouldn't fill one basket, but they get 12 baskets full. And then at the very end, as the sort of punchline, Mark then tells you his count of the men, 5,000 men. So it sort of climbs up to this climax at the end. Um, 
I mean, it is possible to read this and jump too quickly to what does it mean? And, you know, we, if we're not careful, we turn miracles into parables. You know, it's a story with a, a moral lesson or a story with a spiritual lesson. But we really wanted to, I mean, we mustn't do that because Mark is recording history and he distinguishes quite clearly between the parable of the sower, which is a story, and the feeding of 5,000, which is an event. Um, why is it so significant that we pause on it being an event before we think, what does it mean? Because if um, the, the meaning of it only really makes sense if it's something extraordinary. Um, so if, if it's teaching us something about Jesus, which we're going to think about in a minute, um, it only really does that if it really was um, miraculous. Um, this is like the resurrection, isn't it? It's not just enough to know, hey, Christians told an ancient story about life after death. How lovely. I want more than a story. I want to know that is actually life up to death. Yeah. And that requires a resurrection. I suppose it's like that. And the, and the people at the time didn't need this step because no one at the time of Jesus doubted the reality of the miracles. That was just a given. I mean, some people obviously doubted where the power came from and they said it was demonic. But the starting point was, oh, we've got to come to some conclusion because this is bizarre. Um, but we we missed that because we weren't there. So we have to just remind ourselves, oh, yeah, this was crazy. And you imagine, you know, in the new creation on the last day, there'll be 10,000, 20,000 people who were there. I mean, I suppose not all of them were converted, but lots of these people will be, I presume, disciples of Jesus who will be in the new creation. So it'll be quite fun to meet them and retell the story. Yeah. Um, so it's the amazing things happened. In fact, I remember I was telling you before about a friend of mine. He was a pastor but not a Christian. So he, he found himself as working in a church without being a follower of Jesus. And thankfully now he's come to faith in Jesus. But I remember him saying he was preaching on this story as a non-Christian and it really stumped him. He thought, I cannot work out how Jesus did this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, Which is, is the right, point. yeah. That's <laughs> good logic. <laughs> okay, so something amazing has happened. But actually when we then understand the theological significance it becomes an even bigger deal than just the, the miracle. And the clue to this is verse 52. So at first sight, you get two two miracles, one after the other, that look sort of separate. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people. The very next thing that happens is he sends off the disciples in the boat. It's very windy, so they, they make very slow progress against the wind. And it gets to 3 a.m., and they still haven't reached their destination. And then Jesus walks on the water to join them. So... Wow, another extraordinary thing um, in the same chapter. But then they're very frightened by the sight of Jesus, like unsurprisingly, someone walking on the water is not normal. Um, but then you get this interesting comment by Mark. He says, verse 52, um, they were astounded for, because they did not understand about the loaves. And that tells you that these two things are connected. It's not just, I mean, they do understand about the loaves that they were fed because they remember because it was like the same day. So they, they got that, but they don't understand about the loaves. So Mark is telling us that there's something more than the event to be understood. And moreover, if they had understood the thing about the loaves, then they would have understood the thing about the walking on water. So the only reason they're surprised that Jesus walking on water is because they haven't got the first part. So there's something about them to be understood that means that they go together and there's a deeper meaning. Now, what... You then start thinking, okay, what is the deeper meaning to someone being, a crowd being fed with bread from heaven and someone crossing the water on foot? And 
hopefully that's enough that you think, yeah. oh, there's actually a very, very famous event earlier in the Bible that combines those two things. And, he, and it's, they didn't understand about the loaves in particular, so he doesn't say they didn't understand about the fish. Um, so he particularly yes. highlights oh, the bread is going to be the key thing. And that's because there's a, a, a famous moment in Israel's history where bread is provided uh, from heaven. And, and once you're, you start noticing uh, there is a sort of Moses exodus feel because there was a time in the, the wilderness where um, the people were led out of Egypt and then in Exodus 16, the Lord, the people complained and said, you know, we don't have any food. And the Lord through Moses provided um, bread from heaven for them. Once you've spotted that connection, you then see, oh, actually, there's a lot more connections that kind of cumulatively build quite a strong case. It's actually more fun this if you've read Exodus recently, because if we just go through Mark and then tell you all the flashbacks... You think, oh, I wish I'd have seen that. But if you revise Exodus, and conveniently enough at Grace Church Greenwich, we did do Exodus last year, so it's fresh in our minds. But just to remind people of their Exodus story, so Moses meets God at a burning bush. Um, he's very afraid. God reveals his name, the I am who I am. Um, then God sends um, a load of plagues, and the last plague is the Passover. We actually don't get the Passover yet in Mark, but it's coming up next, coming up soon. Um, and then they cross the waters of the Red Sea on foot, God parts the sea and they get to the other side. There's um, a desert. There's no food. Manna from heaven. Um, then what else do I need? And then they, Jesus, they go up a mountain, Mount Sinai. And then, um, 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 oh, uh, sorry, well, I've missed that one. During the, all of the plagues, Pharaoh refuses to pay attention to the evidence of God's power because his heart was hardened. That's another one. And then right at the end of the book, in chapter 34, um, or near the end of the book, um, God appears to Moses and shows him his glory. But what that looks like is God passes by Moses and proclaims his name, the I am who I am name. And um, yeah, and, and that's an experience of the, the very glory of God itself. So that's a bit of revision. Maybe you already know those things at your fingertips, but armed with that, you're then going to enjoy this much more. So we get nearly every sentence Andrew said gets an echo in Mark 6. So we've got um, Jesus uh, starts in a, in a wilderness. Um, Which Mark tells you three times. Like, so Mark is really underlying this. It's a sort of desolate place. It's a desolate place. It's a desolate place or a wilderness place, same word. And he obviously really wants you to notice, like with the man with the demons, he was among the teams, among the teams, among the teams. Mark doesn't risk you not noticing this. He, he likes to repeat his place names three times when they're important. Yeah, and then um, Jesus looks up to heaven, we're told, and provides bread in verse 41. Um, we've got this mention. So previously, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and this time the disciples' hearts were hardened. We'll come back to that in verse 52. Um, Jesus describes himself as, I am take courage it was well, translated it is i but it's take courage i am stop being af- afraid verse 50 um and, and that's not and that matches exactly because it's not only god's name the i am but the same response of fear so yeah matches and jesus came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them which is a weird detail anyway but it makes sense once you realize there's a passing by when the lord passes by moses in exodus 34 um, Jesus went up on the mountain, verse 46. 
he walks on the sea, the, the, the word for sea. And um, when he, th- there's a weird detail here where Jesus got them to sit down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Mm. And um, that's a specific quote from Exodus 18, where Moses organizes Israel into groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Um, it's also quite helpful that when Mark says there's 5,000, you know that he knows because it's a lot easier to count groups of 50 than just a, a massive crowd. So it's like it, you can be pretty confident there were actually that many. Yeah. So, so Mark, Mark's kind of alerting us that it's possible to get the fact that it's a miracle to be pro-Jesus and yet uh, to miss the whole point of it. They did not understand about the loaves. And actually Mark underlines it's more serious than we might imagine. It's not just, oh, you missed this extra detail and this would have been fun. He says they did not understand about the loaves because, but their hearts were hardened. So the fact that they only get stage one, Jesus did something amazing, mm-hmm. and not stage two, is a, is a signal that there's something wrong inside them. Now this could really encourage, discourage our listeners, couldn't it? Because maybe some people are thinking, oh, I didn't understand about the loaves. You know, I didn't know all these cross references to Exodus. Um, and it isn't saying that you have to be super biblically insightful. Um, but they ought to know this. The more they read the Bible, they should know about this. Because the Exodus is not a peripheral little story. It's actually, it's the main story of the Old Testament. And it's actually the main story of what they were looking forward to. So we've said there's lots of allusions to Exodus, which there are. But also, arguably, there's allusions to lots of the prophets. Because what the prophets are doing later in the Old Testament is taking the Exodus story and projecting it into the future, saying, you need another Exodus story. So, you know, we know that the Jews were looking for a Messiah, but actually they were looking for a Messiah to bring an Exodus. That really was the expectation. So the fact that they failed to match Jesus up to this template of what they're looking forward to, that's the really worrying thing. It's a weird thing, anyway, to find someone who's got this incredible divine power and not go the next step of, oh, I wonder what that means for life, the universe and everything. So, so to think, oh, here's a guy who can fill my belly, and rather than thinking, oh, I wonder what I should do now that he's come. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. Um, so that I, that, I think, it is the reason, you know, Mark underlines it's hardness of heart. Or they just want the, the goodies, and they don't want to think, what, what does this mean? Who is this? And, and the who is this question is really, really exciting because it's one thing that here's a guy who's, he can do cool tricks. Um, but what, how much better to discover here's a guy who is everything humanity has been waiting for, the one who can not just bring people out of slavery from a foreign power, but he can bring people out of ultimate slavery. As a, at the risk of overloading with the Old Testament cross-references, because we've done Exodus already, but should we just go through some of the prophets? Because it, it kind of fleshes out why a second exodus would be such a big deal. And each in a different kind of way, you get different angles on on this truth. So, I mean, one would be um, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. And it's a very famous chapter in chapter 34 where Ezekiel criticises, or God through Ezekiel criticises the kings of Israel. And he calls them shepherds because Moses was a shepherd and David was a shepherd and shepherd becomes a metaphor for being a... You've got some interesting beeps. What are they? Is that your Alexa or something? I must be. Um, every time I say something really theologically profound, he's a shepherd. I know, we can't get it to work again. It's, it's a heresy trap. Ding, like ding, if ding. you say something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I saying? Um, Ezekiel criticises 
the kings of Israel, the shepherds of Israel, because they've exploited the sheep. Rather than feeding the sheep, they've stuffed themselves with the sheep. They've devoured the sheep. And then God says famously, I myself will come and be the shepherd of my sheep. Now, um, how does that fit in to this context? Well, we've just had the, the passage before this, a gruesome banquet put on by King Herod, at which a severed head of John the Baptist is served on a platter. And then immediately after we have a glorious banquet put on by King Jesus, um, which brings salvation and life. And the two banquets side by side, and I think there is a bit of a compare contrast between them, makes you think of the two kings side by side. King Herod, he's there to exploit and devour. And King Jesus, he's there to save and to be compassionate. And he makes you think of the two kinds of shepherds. So the failed kings of Israel out for themselves and then the tree shepherd, the Lord Jesus, come to serve them. And so um, the Exodus, the second Exodus, is actually about God himself coming to be the shepherd and to gather up his sheep who are being exploited and devoured by selfish worldly leaders. So that, that's one angle on it. And um, I think that's here. And in Ezekiel 34, the, the um, criterion to be a true shepherd is should not shepherds feed the sheep? Um, and it's just a wonderful thing that um, Jesus is kind of giving his credentials as to why he, he can be trusted as a leader because he cares for, but specifically he feeds, he, he nourishes physically his people. And so when we look at Jesus in this passage, we think, what a, what a great Lord. I could entrust myself to him because he, he looks after and feeds his sheep. And he sees their sheep without a shepherd um, in verse 34, and he has compassion as opposed to thinking, oh, I could exploit these people. Yeah. You, you're about to tell us um, Isaiah's in the background as well. And I think this won't be a massive surprise to us for who have been reading Mark, because the Mark's gospel begins with a quote from Isaiah 40. Um, do you want to talk through talk that? Well, yeah, I think Isaiah is Mark's favourite Old Testament book. And I think there's grounds for that because he keeps quoting from Isaiah and he keeps telling us that it's Isaiah that he quotes from. So there's quite a lot of Old Testament allusions in, in Mark, but he doesn't normally name them. But Isaiah the prophet, he's named at least twice so far. So chapter one, as it's written on Isaiah the prophet, and then in chapter seven, oh, that's not that hasn't happened yet. She's <laughs> got out of, out of sync. We're going to see in chapter seven another quote from Isaiah. There he goes. It's your beep. <laughs> Andy's Alexa makes theological commentary by a beep every now and then. I don't know why, but he's going to turn it off now. Um, he keeps throwing my thought, Andrew. Where was I? Isaiah. Um, <laughs> I so says Isaiah, something about this in Isaiah 40 which is how Mark begins the gospel <laughs> thank you very much um, he says there's going to be one in the wilderness who we discover is John the Baptist who will prepare the way for the Lord Yahweh and specifically he'll be like a shepherd he will carry his sheep in his arms back um, and it's the great hope um, which is that um, sorry, this is this Gracepod has been hijacked by verse beeps and Andy's devices. I'm just putting his computer on to do not disturb. Thanks, everybody. We're sorry that we're so professional that we um, get can't. Okay, good. Um, Isaiah 40. God is going to be a shepherd. Exactly. <laughs> we have to recap this in a minute. So when um, when we discover in this passage in, in Mark 6 that um, Jesus sees the people they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he takes the role of that shepherd. Um, we're already thinking, oh, yes, I see, because we knew that um, there was going to be a true shepherd, Jesus, who would come and would um, carry his lambs back in his arms back from exile. 
Um, and that itself, that return from exile, which, we, which is one of the roles that Jesus is going to fulfill, was itself framed as a sort of second exodus. Hmm. So the people hmm. were trapped, this time not in Egypt, but in Babylon. This is hundreds of years later. And um, through Isaiah the prophet, um, they were assured that there was going to be a new uh, shepherd, uh, a new return. And um, Jesus steps onto the stage and says, yes, you've kind of got back from Babylon, but spiritually you haven't. And I'm going to be the Lord himself who will finally bring the true second exodus, true return from exile. So each time, it sounds complicated because we're multiplying Old Testament references, but actually each one is the exodus, but just filtered through an Old Testament prophet who's saying, wait for the second one, wait for Exodus 2.0. So it's Exodus through the lens of Isaiah chapter 40. It's Exodus through the lens of Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, Last one, just for for free. Um, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. What does this sound like? A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give this to the men that they may eat. But the servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give to the men that they may eat. For this is what the Lord says, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them and they ate and they had some left. So, I mean, it's a smaller scale. It's the feeding of the 100. But And this is by Elisha. Elisha is the prophet of resurrection, of salvation and resurrection. So in all of these ways, the Exodus, if you know your Old Testament, and these are Jewish disciples, and they should know their Old Testament, it's saying this is the thing you're looking forward to, the great rescuer. And the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water says, here I am, I am. Um, it, lots of this, I guess, will be, if it's new to you, will sound complicated. It's a little bit like a, uh, I like cryptic crosswords, which we often do on Saturday. And the, um, the beautiful thing about cryptic crosswords is you get the clue twice in, in an obvious way, in a less obvious way. And you get it once and then you just, the second half of the clue confirms that you were on the right track and so even if you miss you know some of the extra detail we've added the point of that was just to confirm that we were on the right track at the beginning Mm. that Jesus really is the new Moses he's the one who can bring us not out of Pharaoh's clutches but out of our bigger problem and we're going to discover more of what that is as we go through Mark and in some ways Jesus like Moses in the Exodus because he's the one who looks up to heaven receives the bread leads the people walking on the water but then there's that one bit when Jesus passes by that it goes even further. It's not just that Jesus is the Moses character, but when he passes by and says, don't be afraid, I am, he's then not just the Moses of Exodus, he's the God of Exodus. And that's crazy, isn't it? That we, we want someone who's as great and powerful as Moses, who could do the things that Moses did. And then Jesus comes and he says, yeah, I'll be that. And I'll I'll see you and I'll raise you. I will also be... Moses is Lord, the one who revealed himself as I am to Moses. And so in Jesus, we've got something far, far greater than we could have anticipated. Now, weirdly, because what we've seen is so amazing, it actually makes the final paragraph of the chapter a little bit unsettling. Because if you just read the final chapter on its own, you'd think everything was great. So it looks like Jesus healing miracles and... It's like the best we've had so far all collected together. So when they crossed over, they came to Gennesaret, they moored on the shore, they got out of the boat, the people recognised him. He ran around the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds. That makes us think of the paralytic in chapter two. 
Um, and wherever he came in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. That's like the one with the hemorrhage in chapter five. So it's like the best of um, miracles. And everyone's very excited and they're, you know, they're all coming in crowds. But we're asking the question, OK, but do they understand and and the disturbing thing is if the disciples were told how their hearts are hardened um as readers of mark that is disturbing because we came across in chapter 3 this horrible moment i think it's chapter 3 verse 5 where um after all these miracles and jesus revealing who he is um the pharisees their hearts were hardened and they want to put jesus to death um, and we thought, oh, well, at least here we are with, you know, the goodies. We've got the disciples, the people who are pro-Jesus. And Mark says, well, they're in danger of being in the same team ultimately as the Pharisees. Not because they're trying to put Jesus to death, but just because they're approaching Jesus in the wrong way. Because you can be excited about Jesus for what he can do for you. You know, I'd like free lunch in their case. I want Jesus to be the genie that sorts out my problems on my terms. And you can be excited about that without really getting the rescue he has come on his terms to bring. And that's the real, I guess, shock and challenge of this passage for us is that it's it's possible to be pro-Jesus and yet to be in this camp where with hardened hearts who are missing really the point of what Jesus wants to reveal. And Jesus wants to say, yes, of course, I can fill, fill stomachs, but my agenda is far greater than that. I mm. want... I've come as the new Moses. In mm. fact, Moses is Lord to bring people uh, reconciliation with God. And that is far, far better. We hope you've enjoyed this, this episode of Grace Pod. Even more, we hope you've enjoyed Mark chapter 6 and the, the wonderful truths about our Lord Jesus Christ. And please share this if you think of other people who find it helpful. Maybe they're studying Exodus or would like a way into a bit more of the Bible in the Old Testament. Um, please share, please subscribe yourself and see you for the next episode in chapter 7. God bless. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.